Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. This episode is brought to you by Accenture Interactive. Greater experiences start with reimagined consumer experiences. Visit AccentureInteractive.com to see how we're combining creativity, strategy, and technology to make businesses healthier and consumers happier. That's AccentureInteractive.com. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. It's the Adweek podcast where we talk about advertising, branding, media, technology, pop culture, just about anything, uh, because most things in the end are probably an ad. Uh, I'm Tim Nutt. I'm the creative editor at Adweek. I'm filling in this week for David Greiner, who's been traveling uh, in Germany over there, uh, hanging out, uh, judging the Epica Awards, which is the the one ad award show judged by journalists. So I assume he's been having a good time doing that. Uh, so I'll fill in for David this week, and I'm very pleased to welcome back regular podcast guest and a producer on the podcast, Christina Monlos, senior editor covering the world of brands. Christina, always good to have you. Always good to be here. And excited to also welcome back Sammy Main, staff writer at Adweek covering the digital media world. Sammy, how are you? Hello, I'm good. How's it going, Tim? Not too bad. Not too bad. Um... So we've got a, quite a bit to talk about this week. Uh, it's been a bit of a tough week for digital media, so we'll talk to Sammy about that. We've had some fun industry parody videos coming out of Canada this week, which we'll listen to a few of those, kind of kind of cool as well. Um, we'll listen to some of the ads worth watching, and then at the end we'll talk about our brand new digital feature package that just came out, uh, all about challenger brands, uh, upstart companies that are challenging legacy brands for market share. So that should be fun. Uh, first, let's get to the news. So as I mentioned, a bit of a tough week for digital media. Uh, Mashable is reportedly selling to Ziff Davis for $50 million. Uh, that comes less than two years after uh, they were valued at $250 million after raising a round of capital. Uh, led by Turner. So interesting news for Mashable. Uh, we, we've also heard this week that Oath is cutting 500 positions. That follows uh, previous layoffs over there. Uh, also, BuzzFeed and Vice both announced this week that they're going to miss their revenue targets for the year. 
And all of this sort of gloomy news uh, comes on the heels of Gothamist and DNA Info being shut down uh, by their billionaire owner a couple of weeks ago, which was super depressing also. Um, You know, if Queen Elizabeth worked in digital media, she would have called it a weakus horribilis. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Probably. she would. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, she doesn't. Um, (laughs) Sammy, uh, what can Mm. we learn from all this gloomy news other than maybe we're working in the wrong business? Right. Yeah. It's a good time to not be in media. Um, I I think, you know, there was maybe a level of optimism that that these kind of new media companies had and kind of the appetite of of all of these different audiences. And I think, honestly, we've just been seeing um, a bit of a flood of of content that people can't all choose between and you can't all get the views you think you're going to get. Um, and I think, too, I think it's important to note that a lot of kind of Mashable's downturn did come when they, after they uh, more formally pivoted to video, as the term goes. Um, and I think it's been really hard for these companies to deliver expectations to advertisers based on the growth they saw initially. Um, I, I personally used to work at BuzzFeed, and we used to joke that people would ask, you know, can't you just make this go viral? And it's not on purpose how those things work. It's kind of a flash in the pan sort of situation. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of these companies are, are built on these extremely viral hits, but those are not sustainable, especially when they're competing with, with everybody else um, in media as well as kind of entertainment at large is all kind of available on the same platforms. Uh, it's more kind of ubiquitous now. So it, it kind of makes sense that this is the the trend of the way things are are heading and maybe we need to be a little bit more realistic about what we're able to provide to kind of our our advertising partners instead of kind of golden pie in the sky type expectations. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the pivot to video over at Mashable. Video, Mm -hmm. you know, has generally been considered kind of a bright spot in digital media, hasn't it, over the last year or two? Does this news, you know, kind of put a damper on, on that optimism around video? I... Maybe not a, a full damper, but I think it is kind of proof of this this ongoing trend of, for me, my my biggest bone, I guess, to, to pick with that industry is, you know, advertisers keep saying they want, um, they're like purchasing based on views and, and view counts. And it's kind of more engaged numbers that they should be going after, which can be, you know, uh, watch time or kind of shares, likes, comments, et cetera. Um, so I think it's maybe proof that we can't all keep making at the same rate because we're kind of, um, the supply and demand is going to get all shifted out of balance. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it's, it's a little bit of a lesson to, you know, maybe quality over quantity and it's maybe not the number of, of videos you're producing, but what you're actually putting out there so that people will come to you for the good work that you're doing and not just because you're making, you know, however many videos per week. Uh, so maybe this is a bit of a lesson of, of more careful strategy planning instead of going all in on something that hasn't exactly proven to be a, a long-lasting thing. These are all still relatively new companies. I don't think we can count all of them as startups still. I think they're way past that point. Um, but I, I do think it's a lesson in in um, quantity over quality. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, we'll get back to some of these, um, startups later, uh, when we talk about challenger brands, Mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting how 
the challenger brands of even a year or two ago are, are now the legacy brands in some ways, um, particularly in digital and new media. Um, I guess let's move on. We had an interesting kind of a funny stunt this week um, by Cards Against Humanity. This is the the card game uh, that's well known for being sort of an, uh, an expert, very provocative marketer. They do all these crazy stunts and they do a thing every year called uh, Holiday BS, although they don't call it BS. They actually say it. <laughs> um, and this year they have decided to raise money uh, by... Uh, selling $15 subscriptions to, I think they, they sold about 150,000 of these. So they raised several million dollars this week from this um, to buy up some land uh, near the Mexican border uh, to try to stop Donald Trump from building his border wall, uh, which is a kind of a crazy idea. You know, this idea that a game company would would do this. Um, but let me read to you the, the, uh, the little description that they had on, on the website. Uh, which was called Cards Against Humanity Saves America.com. They said, Donald Trump is a preposterous golem who is afraid of Mexicans. He is so afraid that he wants to build a $20 billion wall that everyone knows will accomplish nothing. So we've purchased a plot of vacant land on the border and retained a law firm specializing in eminent domain to make it as time-consuming and expensive as possible for the wall to get built. <laughs> uh, I thought this was kind of wild. What did, what did you guys think of this? I mean, Cards Against Humanity has been doing you know, very left-leaning, irreverent political work for a long time. But this seems like it kind of takes it to another level. Christina, what did you think of this one? I think it's really fun. It's also like the audience that Cards Against Humanity has. I, I, don't, I don't know if they'll end up losing anyone or maybe they will. Anyone likes crass jokes. Thinking out loud, guys. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> But um, I think it's really fun. I think it's also an example of the way that even if you're a brand, you're politicized in this environment and, you know, you can make moves like this that will possibly have an impact. I don't know. It's interesting. What did you think, Sammy? Do you think a, a game maker like should be, you know, could could or should be trying to make a difference in our crazy political climate these days? Um. <laughs> yes. I also think Cards Against Humanity in particular has a kind of sordid past. They've always kind of been the edgy game <laughs> that, you know, you don't play with your parents. <laughs> like, there are Holocaust jokes in here, guys. Yeah. They only recently took a card that said date rape out of circulation and Reddit isn't Ooh. thrilled that it's gone. So I think this is a cool step in the right direction for them. And by right direction, I mean maybe a more active direction or kind of a, a nicer policy that, that a lot of people can get behind. And I, I think I agree with Christina. I, I think their audience is typically more liberal leaning, but it is hard to tell because everybody does love a gross joke at some point. And we're shrugging at each other about this a little bit. <laughs> I guess I don't know who it's for now. I've never known who know. it's for, but I only played it in college, so that's my frame of reference. I, I would they... also make like to make clear that I don't approve of Holocaust jokes; that they just oh, exist right. there. Yeah, I don't mm -hmm. think I don't think we thought that. <laughs> I think you're I'm good. just making it clear. <laughs> no, they can't, did mention uh, in this campaign. They did say if you voted for Trump, you might want to sit this one out. So they they have mm. a recognition that maybe they're gonna upset some folks with this. I think. Um, but, you know, last year for Black Friday, they, they raised, I think, $100,000, and they used that money just to dig a, a hole in the ground for really no apparent reason. 
So right. I think this is a little bit less sort of nihilistic than that. This is at least has some kind of point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, these, I think another year they celebrated Black Friday by by um, making their game more expensive to buy on that one day, whereas everyone else <laughs> in the world is making their game cheaper to buy. Uh, yeah. So they certainly are, are no stranger to sort of holiday antics. Um, sure. Yeah. But uh, I thought this was this was interesting. Um, all right, let's move on to um, something that I have always found amusing every year, which is um, one, one of our uh, fellow marketing magazines, uh, Strategy, up in Canada. Uh, every year around this time, they have an Agency of the Year uh, celebration, an evening where they they pick uh, their agencies of the year and and they invite a bunch of agencies to come to this event. And I think it was about five or six years ago, they, they asked at least one, maybe more of the agencies to create kind of a parody video uh, about the business, and, and they would play it kind of at the Agency of the Year event. And it was an agency called John Street in Toronto, and they created this thing called Pink Ponies, which was a very amusing case study about a guy who buys a, a pony for his daughter for her birthday, and it was done kind of like a, an advertising case study, like all serious. And they talked about the impressions that it got and everything else. And it was very, very funny. And so this sort of became a tradition at, at the strategy event. And every year now we get about six or seven uh, pr- pretty amusing uh, parody videos about kind of skewering the ad industry. And this year there were a couple of note. Um, Zulu Alpha Kylo, which is, uh, I believe, also a Toronto agency, um, they created a video which is not safe for work language, although we are going to play a clip from it here. So if, if you're listening and you don't want to hear a lot of curse words, uh, you might not want to listen to this. But it's basically uh, an advertising boot camp, the theory being um, anyone who's coming into advertising who thinks it's easy should think again. It's actually a pretty brutal business. And this is how um, Zulu Alpha Kylo's um, video uh, kind of abuses the uh, entry-level kids in their agency. Let's, let's take a listen. We expose these kids to what life in an agency is really like in the hopes of dissuading them from a life in advertising. Come on, hustle! Like you mean it! Eyes up here. My name is Allison, and I'm the head of human resources. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, suck it the fuck up. I'd like to introduce you to our creative director team. This is Karen and Nigel. Who has a book? I do. I want to work at a real agency with real big briefs because I know I can handle it. Judy John said she really liked my book. Oh, did she? Mm. Judy John said she liked my book. She just told you it was good because it's easier than telling you you suck! So, um, Zulu Alpha Kylo has actually done quite a few of these videos over the years. They were pretty famous, I think it was two years ago, for doing a, a, a fairly serious video, actually, about um, spec work. So, advertising is known... Um, for you know, for providing um, work for free, essentially during pitches, you know, and, uh, you pitch a business and you basically give your ideas to the company without even knowing if you're going to get the business. And uh, this agency feels like that's insane. They don't actually participate in any kind of pitches because of that reason. And that video got millions of views. Uh, it was a prank video where where folks. Um, tried to, you know, ask for spec work from people in other businesses. So you went into like a frame store and asked a, a, a person who makes frames to make you a frame for free and you'll only mm-hmm. buy it if you like it. <laughs> it was a super fun video. Um, this one is a bit uh, not as clever, I thought, than the new one uh, about, uh, you know, coming into advertising and, and being, uh, having, you know, all these uh, ideas that you're going to win a lion in your first year and become a creative director after a year or two and make all this money. Um, I don't know if you guys had a chance to watch this this new video. Um, I thought it was it was worth a laugh, though. Did you guys watch it? 
I thought it was like okay, like it was like kind of funny, but then I don't know, even like a send up of the issues within the industry as like a joke is it, I don't know, I didn't like it. I, and and I'll tell you why. It's <laughs> Go on. It's because like I don't think we should be celebrating even in joke form a business that abuses people. I mean, I get it. Like this is a more brutal industry than most, but like, does it have to be? No, like mm-hmm. <laughs> it really doesn't. I don't care if I'm going to get like a bunch of emails from some like CD in Canada being like, you don't understand, but <laughs> it, 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 this doesn't have to be an abusive business. Most don't. And even these jokes, like, you know, demoralizing young people out of the business I don't know. It's it's just not funny to me. It's really not. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, advertising certainly has its problems. And so um, these videos usually joke about that. There was one a few years ago. I think the agency was called Union. And they did, um, they made fun of how how bad the working hours in advertising are. You know, that's notorious for people, you know, pull all-nighters when they're putting a campaign together. And uh, the, the, the theme of this video was that um, essentially, uh, I think one day a year, the, the, it was like a work release where the, the, the agency employees got to see their families in this, um, <laughs> it, was, it was almost like a prison environment where they got mm-hmm. to, they were finally let out. And I mean, I guess you're right though. It's, it's, it's a little hard to joke about it's, those things because it's a little e- too real maybe. Yes. And even when like professionals, like if SNL like they can make jokes about like mom jeans and like make fun of that whole trend, uh, both the women wearing them and the stereotypes of women wearing them, or like the brownie boyfriend with Tina Fey and like kind of about the lonely spinster type. Like that's um, there's a whole uh, book about improv comedy called Truth and Comedy. Like it is absolutely funny when you can relate to things and understand where people are coming from. But it is kind of hard to see videos in this theme where it's kind of punching down and comedy should be punching up at like people above you. So so maybe it should be about the executives who kind of make this sort of culture and not the people that are at the expense of it. And that might kind of solve their comedy problem. That's a fun comedy tip from comedy resident <laughs> Sammy Main over here. Love that. Um, but right. that, that is kind of, it's a more gentle form of, of comedy. You should always be punching up and not kind of down at, at your um, colleagues and coworkers and kind of people who are in the trenches with you because then it gets a little too real and not the not the fun kind of real. Well, BBDO Canada also made one for this year's strategy event um, and it was kind of a silly joke based on how everyone hates to do their timesheets, which is another uh, regular uh, topic to make fun of in advertising. Mm-hmm. And BBDO suggested, uh, well, people have spent 18 minutes on average in the toilet every day, so why not make them do their timesheets while they're in the toilet? Um, I guess we could play a little bit of this one maybe too. Um, <laughs> uh, let's have a listen. Introducing Timesheets by BBDO, a revolutionary new timesheet solution that leverages an existing workplace behavior, going to the toilet. Data showed the average time to complete a timesheet was 18 minutes, the exact amount of time that people spend in the washroom during an average workday. And incredibly, 100% of time spent on the toilet is also spent on a device. So we put two and number two together and created a new mobile time logging experience, turning unproductive time into very productive time. 
So yeah, um, time shits. I guess they they built the entire thing off that pun, uh, mm-hmm. or or maybe they Again, reverse engineered it. Hate it. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you don't the think they were as clever quality. as usual? The production quality is very cool because they had like the whole app and like the posters and like the video itself is very well made. But the mm-hmm. thought process behind people don't like doing this and don't have the time to do this. Let's make fun of how limited our industry is, is again, maybe maybe not as on the nose as it could be. Let people go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> so many. Oh, my God. Human beings, they have to spend time doing things like I Shut mean, up. you know, <laughs> so up. many of these videos are self-loathing at the core, and I think it speaks to something about advertising where, you know, there's a cynicism kind of at the base of a lot of the, the interactions that go on at agencies, and, uh, you know, these videos certainly play that up, and it, it's, it makes for some uncomfortable moments, for sure. I don't know. I think U.S. agencies <laughs> should try this, though. They don't, you know, I, th- I think it's kind of amazing that uh, strategy and, and all these Canadian agencies kind of get together and do this every year. I mean, why don't you ask some agencies? Well, we should. I think we've tried once or twice, but we <laughs> should, uh, we, without blatantly copying our friends at strategy, we should mm-hmm. figure out some, some way to, to do that. It'll be fun. Are we friends with them? I feel like we've never talked about strategy before. We should. Um, yeah, Josh Colm is is a guy that we know up there. Um, we've we've hung out with him a few times. He's a good a good guy. Uh, I feel like I feel bad because they just throw all of these videos on one little page on their website, and then we end up doing separate stories on each one, <laughs> getting all this traffic wow. from it. It's kind you of rip them. Yeah, hey, I welcome know. to digital like, media. I know, right, <laughs> bring it back around. It's a vicious cycle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right, let's move on to the ads worth watching uh, section of the show where we talk about the best creative work of the week. All right, first up this week, I wanted to mention the new Volvo spot. It's called Embrace the Future. Uh, Patrick Coffey uh, on Friday uh, wrote it up for Ad of the Day on adweek.com. And it's the third spot in what's um, been a trilogy of ads uh, where Gray has tried to do what they call non-linear storytelling uh, for Volvo. And this started out about uh, a year and a half ago, I think, summer of 2016. Uh, They had a spot called Wedding. And it was about a three-minute ad, and it was a really interesting spot because it was really kind of unclear what was going on. I mean, I guess that's the point of non-linear storytelling. And it got kind of picked up by Reddit, who was trying to figure it out. There were all these clues in it. Uh, And then a couple months later, they had a sequel called Song of the Open Road, uh, which I think was based on kind of some text from Walt Whitman. And again, it was really kind of artsy and kind of unusual for, you know, for... Uh, auto advertising, which is usually, you know, a lot of sheet metal and not a ton else. Um, You know, so this third part, I believe it was called Embrace the Future. And it's got a pretty interesting uh, approach. It's it's a lot less cryptic, to be honest, than the other two spots were. Uh, But it's basically about a woman uh, astronaut uh, and her husband. And they are seen at the beginning kind of driving uh, through the countryside, and it becomes clear later on that she's been kind of heading off to to go to the launch pad for for her, um, you know, to get shot into space and, and to spend some time up in the space station. And uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, I guess I'd be curious to see what you guys thought of this. I mean, most most ads for cars are about features; they're about price. Uh, this is goes in the completely other direction. It's it's very high level branding work. It's not very 
you know, offer or product centric at all. I mean, the car is in it a lot, but it doesn't talk about the car very much. It talks about kind of embracing the future and being fearless and all this, you know, these higher concepts than, than what car you like to drive. Uh, I don't know if this kind of advertising works, uh, you know, hats off to Volvo for trying stuff like this. Um, I mean, I don't want to be the guy that argues that, that more interesting long form work, uh, might not actually sell cars, but, uh, you know, I kind of have to believe that maybe Volkswagen's little, little Darth Vader probably moves more units than three minute films that you have to kind of wonder what just happened. Um, did you guys uh, get anything out of these, <laughs> out of this spot? What did you guys think of that, of this one? I just think it's part of a larger trend by automakers trying to move away from just being about cars because there's a realization that like with the coming self-driving car, which ew, I will never get in one of those. It's never happening. But with the like coming self-driving car, with Uber, with Lyft, with um, you know more transportation opportunities, with the fact that the car is so bad for the environment, with the fact that like more millennials are living in cities than in um, more rural areas where you need a car. They're like if they depend solely on the car and its features, I think it makes it harder for them to, I I don't know, try and have a connection with younger people. That being said, I don't know if if a grander spot really helps solve that problem. I don't know. I, I, I feel for automakers because for a long time, um, it, it was, you know, the car was something that was required and, Mm I don't think that's true anymore for a lot of people. Yeah, this is also for a luxury vehicle. I think mm-hmm. the, the stakes are a little different when you have a luxury car. True. You know, you're probably more likely to do atmospheric kind of, yeah. you know, appealing to the, the, the target buyer's sense of grandiose um, vision drama. or whatever. Yeah, I feel like, though, when you're going to buy a car, like, the commercials are there to remind you of, like, a cool car that is out there, but I'm not taking notes during car commercials anyways, and it's really, like, when I'm on a website or, like, at the dealership, or if it's the brand or car that, like, I grew up with, like, that might be where I go to first. So I think it's a weird, it's a weird kind of product to to market for and it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier in that like everyone's a content maker now and everyone's trying to do short form type entertainment-y videos and maybe that will resonate with people they'll remember the story behind something and kind of appreciate the art that that kind of went into to making those ads that aren't just stats and figures and numbers and all that but it's I guess I don't know if it works um well, well, no sleek car body ad will ever work on me. I like the the work that you don't need a driving around a mountain kind of shot no. for. <laughs> well, Gray New York did this one, and they've said uh, Patrick spoke to them, and they said this is probably the end of this little trilogy. Uh, they're probably not going to do more of this stuff, but they are going to try some some new things that are also not going to be your typical standard thirty second spots. So I guess we'll see what they uh, come up with next. Uh, Another ad I wanted to chat with you guys about is this new PlayStation ad for, I believe the game is called Star Wars Battlefront (laughs) 2. And it's got its own kind of interesting um, 
media debate going on around the game. But first, I wanted to talk about the spot, which uh, BBH New York uh, created. And I, I thought this was a cute ad. It's uh, it's basically, a, it opens with a kid, a boy, looks to be about 10 years old, playing with a Luke Skywalker action figure. And he looks out the window, and a girl is moving in across the street, and she walks out of the moving van holding a Darth Vader action figure. Um, <laughs> and they sort of stare each other down. And it becomes, um, you know, this the spot kind of follows them up through high school, and they keep the Star Wars rivalry going. And, and each scene kind of gets more and more outlandish, kind of as the years go by. So it starts out, uh, uh, I think, the, the boy is at his birthday party, and he's he's um, smashing a TIE fighter pinata. TIE fighters, of course, were the classic Imperial starfighters. So he's beating up her f- favorite, uh, you know, spaceship. Uh, and then he sets up a tree fort, and he's got a rebellion flag on it. Uh, but she one-ups him in a big way by building this sort of giant Death Star treehouse that uh, everyone in the neighborhood wants to hang out at. Uh, so then in high school, he's on the football team, and she replaces his helmet uh, on the bench during one game with a stormtrooper helmet and kind of you know leaves him in the lurch. And then so he, he responds to that by building this enormous 15-foot-high snow sculpture of R2-D2 on top of her car so she can't leave. And it just, it's this back and forth throughout the whole ad. And then it ends with this, you know, truly ridiculous moment where he's apparently living in his first apartment after college and, and it's a high <laughs> rise in the city. And suddenly she comes down the street driving an ad at Walker and basically destroys his apartment uh, by firing into it. <laughs> so, it's insane. I mean, at that point we're in full fantasy land and, and I think, you know, the spot kind of makes an actual, actually kind of a nice switch into them kind of being in this completely alien landscape all of a sudden where they're actually fighting as the rebellion and as the empire. So I thought this was really cute. I mean, I'm so tired of anything Star Wars. And when it came in, uh, when BBH sent it over to me, I was like, I was almost dreading watching it because I just am so, I have such Star Wars fatigue. Um, But Hmm. this one was like super fresh. I thought it was a a really fun story. And, um, you know, it was nice to see also the, the, the girl be the villain and the boy be sort of the good. I, I feel like Star Wars, it's always the, the men who are the villains. Uh, I think that I can't even think of a female uh, villain in, in the entire Star Wars universe. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Did you guys um, like this one? I know you, uh, Christina, I know you have Star Wars fatigue as much as I do. I also have Star Wars fatigue, um, but I did like this one. I liked it, um, you know, because it's a twist on like the girl next door whole whole Mm -hmm. move Mm -hmm. where it's like no they don't fall in love they battle each other forever Mm -hmm. (laughs) um um, i also thought it was really well cast like almost creepily so because like the little kids as they get older like honestly i want to know if they computer generated the older heads because like (laughs) they looked so similar Mm. it was well done on that that in that respect um but yeah i i mean I also I also like that they're taking a video game and making it something where, you know, you're showing kids playing outdoors and playing outside. Of, like, mm-hmm. you kind of have to do that because watching someone, like, play with a um, controller is super boring. Yeah. At the part so. of the ad, whenever you, whenever you cut to the guy with the controller, yeah. it's like, oh, this is... Ugh. It's lame. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the ad would be so different if it was like, you know, it ended with them having like headsets on and yelling at each other. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. 
Um, Sammy, I don't know if you're into Star Wars. Did you? What did you think of this ad? I've never seen a Star War. Is that a safe ah. space to say this in? Wow, yeah, absolutely. So I, I like the so. opposite of Star Wars fatigue in which I'm just in like a mystery space <laughs> floating on <laughs> the edges of whatever people talk about when they talk okay. about Star Wars. But I, I know enough to know how to reference it a little bit. So like I'm aware <laughs> I'm Star Wars adjacent. <laughs> um, and I, I think um, to that end, I think you don't have to be like a hardcore um, Star Wars fan in order to kind of appreciate the story. And and I think the the piece we wrote about it as well kind of touches on like the notion of fandom and like standing up for what you like in a, in a particular media franchise and kind of, again, like we've said, kind of the platonic feel of the relationship was definitely all fresh and it felt kind of modern and a, a really nice spin on how to advertise a, a, a video game. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a gamer, um, so I can't actually really even speak to whether this ad would sell the game, but the game itself has kind of been involved in some controversy. I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but um, there's something something in the game called uh, Loot Box or or Loot Boxes, where you you get a significant advantage if you pick up one of these boxes, Mm -hmm. and um, apparently... Wait, that's a a company, isn't it? That's Loot Crate, not sponsored, but Loot Crate is that company. Uh, it's oh, it's called is after. This is just yeah. So confused. I mean, it's a gaming term. Well, this Loot is... is like the stuff you get. So, anyways, go right. on. Tim. Well, <laughs> Electronic Arts, who 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 published this this game, I think the game comes out today. Actually, well, as we're recording this, it's Friday. So the, mm-hmm. the game came out Friday, and there was a lot of controversy because apparently you can buy uh, the loot boxes in this game give you a, a significant playing advantage, and, oh. and EA is making people or encouraging people to use real money to buy these loot boxes. Apparently, you can spend a lot of money. Uh, a lot of real money, uh, you know, and I think this is, you can do this in other games too, but mm-hmm. I think That's EA how is, Kim Kardashian's yep. game right. made I mean, so a lot of much games, money. A lot of games do this, but I think this one has taken it to a new level to the point um, where uh, there's been sort of a major outcry. Um, there was a discussion about this topic on Reddit actually in, in the past couple of weeks, and apparently uh, a, an EA spokesperson uh, joined the the discussion on Reddit, and the EA spokesperson's comment uh, became the most downvoted comment in Reddit history, uh, trying to defend th- this use of loot boxes. And and actually, I I checked the news this morning, and it looks like EA is is backtracking on this. They're changing. Apparently, they're removing uh, all the microtransactions from the game until they can sort this out. Mm. So uh, the the backlash against it has uh, has apparently worked, uh, or at least mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see how EA deals with it, but but they they've heard that people don't like this and and uh, are are reconsidering. So that's kind of an interesting side note. Um, I guess the other the only other one I wanted to talk about actually two. We don't have to talk about these at length, but um, there was a, we we wrote about a seventeen minute ad and an eighteen minute ad on the site this week. Uh, the seventeen minute ad was was by Lowe's uh, for Black Friday. They built an escape room and they got four DIY people, um, two of whom are actually have their own YouTube channels. Uh, they built this escape room and they had these four people uh, essentially try to get out of the escape room using um, t- tools that you can buy at Lowe's, which was kind of cool. And then the eighteen minute ad was the new Christmas film uh, for the Spanish Lottery. Uh, you know, most um, blockbuster Christmas ads these days come out of Britain, but um, the Spanish lottery ad every year is another 
kind of long form, uh, you know, really beautifully made ad. A couple of years ago, they, they did the Justino ad. Uh, Leo Burnett works on the account, and they've they did this really kind of wild uh, ad uh, this year, more like a short film uh, about this alien who comes to Earth, and um, she sort of befriends a, a tour guide in in Madrid, and they have this um, really kind of heartwarming story about. Uh, you know, about what it means to, you know, share, uh, you know, things at Christmas time. The, the, the Spanish lottery is famously like a, a once a year thing and it's got this enormous payout, but it's, it's, it's well known for communities and families kind of buying tickets together. So it has this kind of Christmas spirit. Um, but I just wanted to mention those because I know that's a 17 minutes and 18 minutes is a lot to commit to a, mm. to, to watching a commercial. I thought they were both worth it though. And, and actually the Spanish lottery ad, I think is one of the nicer Christmas ads of the year. So, yeah. um, check them out. Uh, so I guess we'll move on now to our big discussion of the week, uh, which is about challenger brands. So we have a digital uh, feature package this week. It just came out on the website this morning. Uh, it's called Challenger Brands, and it's all about um, category disruptors and how they are forcing legacy brands across all sorts of industries to kind of change the way they do business. Uh, so we take a deep dive into a bunch of upstarts that are kind of changing the rules. Sammy, I wanted to talk to you because you wrote one about television, the television industry. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, uh, cord cutting is nothing really new, um, but a new study from Hub Entertainment Research that you reported on um, says that for the first time since they began tracking uh, things uh, a couple of years ago, Mm -hmm. uh, watching TV online is now more popular than watching on a set-top box. Um, Yep. That's kind of a crazy milestone. Yeah, I know. And it's it's so funny to me kind of how long I guess it's taken to to reach this level. There was a new statistic that came out super recently, I, I think um, this week or last week, that like over 70% of Americans, I think, own some sort of connected device or connected TV. So that's a Roku or an Apple TV or Amazon Fire TV. Well, some of those are the more popular ones, Chromecast, those sorts of things. So now that's like a super majority and set-top boxes are are kind of going out of vogue. They're going out of fashion and it, it kind of, I don't know, it makes sense now to me for kind of the way people live their lives. And so I, I spoke with um, both Sling TV and Tulu about kind of how their businesses have in particular helped shape um, the way we watch TV now. Mm-hmm. So what did Sling TV have to say about, about their model? They were um, super proud of the fact that they were basically the first, if not like one of the first, um, kind of a la carte is the term they described, um, streaming TV providers in which you can pick and choose what channels you actually pay for based on you know what you watch. Um, because the the downside of of cable subscriptions a lot of times is that there could be two thousand channels you never watch, but you're you're super <laughs> duper paying for them though. Yeah. Uh, so this this kind of their idea was that's preposterous. So let's give people what they want to watch and nothing more than that. So they have a lot of different add-ons and like different packages based on on what you want more of. Ba- um, in addition to kind of the the basic broadcast that they provide. Um, so that was kind of their thought process going into. And I think they're pretty happy with the way the future then turned out for them Mm -hmm. because that is definitely the the trend now. I I think viewers have more control and more demand than than ever before. And like I said earlier, there's plenty of content for them to to be paying attention to. And so it's more important than ever to kind of 
have options. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that was kind of the Sling TV model, and they've definitely kept that model up over the years. It's it's simple and easy to use. I started using Sling TV, um, gosh, it must have been sometime last year or earlier this year, specifically so I could watch This Is Us live because <laughs> uh, at the time right. I did okay. not have cable. Um, and now I am a, a Hulu Live subscriber, which which comes with the, the Hulu subscription as well. Um, so it, it's kind of interesting that it's just we, we want to watch all of these things on the same screen and that's being connected to a smaller little box that just isn't a cable box that you have to also pay for with with every month yes Mm -hmm. you're paying for other things every month but the cost is much cheaper because you don't have all that extra kind of nonsense that you're not even watching anyways right but it's not it's not purely a la carte is it because you still have to buy a package like a a collection there's still like a basic package Mm -hmm. sling in particular offers two different sets of a basic package that are a little bit different in what channels the give you. Um, earlier this year, myself and um, Diana McDougal on our on our art team kind of came up with fun infographics that kind of broke down the differences um, between them all, which definitely need to be updated at this point because they all kept changing <laughs> throughout the year. Right. Um, so Sling does have two starter packages. And then from there, you can add on, you know, more Spanish language or more comedy or more sports. Um, sports seems to be the, the one of the biggest things that keeps people tied to cable because that you have to watch live and they don't quite realize that if you cut the cord you can still have um live tv so i would mm-hmm. uh, there's lots of options out there and it's way easier to do than than kind of ever before but yes are you a big oscars watcher or like the grammys or any of those live events because yeah. those are often blacked out oh they're other not options. anymore when when did that stop i didn't have any award shows blacked out for me this year really yeah. i i tried sling maybe La- the last time for the Oscars and it didn't work. Um, it I think they, what might happen sometimes, again, I've been using for Hulu most of the last part of this year, so I haven't used things super recently. But um, one of the downsides I will say with streaming TV is that it is kind of demand. Like when you're trying to live stream anything and a lot of other people are trying to live stream it as well, it can cause some of the like streaming signals. I don't know how streaming works, but like in the air, (laughs) the tubes are full basically. Mm -hmm. Um, So mostly what you do need is like a strong Wi-Fi connection, but through, through Hulu at least and Sling and most other providers, if you get those broadcast networks, nothing gets blacked out. If anything, you're like a couple minutes behind, but it isn't off limits. It was blacked out because CB, CBS, whoever had it, they didn't, didn't license they, the rights. No, interesting. Yeah, so I haven't had that problem most of this year through Hulu, so it might be coming around to it, or CBS might have been wanting people to live stream through their own app because they do have that um, capability yeah. now. That's also a trend that um, TV networks have been doing their their own sorts of things. Um, so they might have been wanting to drive people in that way. But all the live stuff I've tried to watch through Hulu has not been blacked out. So it just depends on the licensing deal maybe that your streaming cable provider has. See, see I feel like this kind of thing, though, is, is a, a reason why um, you know, a, a challenger brand like Sling TV maybe doesn't grow as fast as it, as it could. Is that mm-hmm. it's, it's confusing, like what you get or what, you know, 
I mean, I think it was, you know, way back when, like 10 years ago, everybody had cable and it was clear that they had everything and there was no confusion. And then you actually have to work more to figure out all these different options that you have now. And that's yeah. having to work like that is a is an is a barrier. To, I was to, saying to I adoption. do wish there was like a TV guide channel, <laughs> which now that now that I use Hulu, it is a lot more kind of user friendly and in, in trying to find what you want to watch. But there is so much out there. And maybe the Apple TV app itself kind of also works in that function where you can search and it'll find it through all of your things. But there isn't quite like a um, what's on now sort of, of program. But mm-hmm. that's not how people are watching a lot of the time. They're watching on demand. They want to catch up on things or if there's a, a sports or a live event, then that's what they want to watch live. Or in my case, this is us. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so, but to, all to say it is completely different than even how it was three years ago. Yeah. Um, I just got cable because I don't like it. I don't like what's going on. I want something where I can find what I want. You don't find it too expensive? No, it's cheaper. If you add, like for me, it's cheaper because I like added it all up, all of the different mm-hmm. streaming mm-hmm. that I would need to get what I want. And it's cheaper. That's funny. I did that cable. and Hulu was cheaper for me than to keep really? up with cable. Yeah. Do you split? However, I live alone. So it's only me that would be paying that bill. Do you split the cable bill with your boyfriend? Yeah. Okay. So that's why. I live in a one person and one cat household. You're not splitting <laughs> so it really your cat. Is, exactly. It's she's quite a demanding roommate. She wants to hold the remote whenever we watch TV. Um, but my point is that's kind of the glory and benefit of having these a la carte options is that you can pick and choose and like depending on what works for your lifestyle, there are more options now than just cable. Mm -hmm. Because at one point it was cable or not anything. (laughs) And now there's at least different sorts of of plans based on your device and and your watching habits and all that kind of stuff. Well, and if you are willing to put in some extra work, then you get the reward of paying less. And and that seems to be... I promise it's not that much extra work, you guys. It's the same thing. It's just on a different thing. It's extra work to go and try and like fix Netflix's algorithm because they serve up the same thing all the time. I, I don't am suggested the pay same attention shows. to it. I go and find what I want to watch. I don't know. Having to actively search and to like know what you want, that's more difficult to me. Oh, we're different people. <laughs> well, Sammy, you also spoke to Hulu for your story, and you, yeah. you, you talked to them a little bit about, um, you know, how segmenting, how, how segmented viewing kind of also means, you know, more targeted ad selling. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about their model for, you know, uh, obviously they they seem to know who's watching, and 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 they can serve different ads to them. Exactly. So they try to be basically a, a one stop shop for people, uh, for advertisers, I guess, um, and they can kind of tell. Exactly like you were saying, the demographic of people who are watching, when they're watching, what they're watching, who is watching as best as they can can sort of tell based on their their own data that they're trying to collect. Um, so advertisers can come to them and say they want to reach this sort of demographic um, in, in maybe this region and Hulu can do all of that for them. They can kind of plug it in. And part of the thing they're also trying to be mindful of is kind of repetition. If so many people are going to be just kind of we call it binge watching. It used to be just a couch potato. But if you're going to be watching stuff for, for like more than an hour at a time, you'll start to see the same ad over and over and over. So Hulu is also trying to keep that in mind and kind of keep repetition to a minimum and help advertisers kind of tell a story throughout. So maybe it's, you know, three different ads in one 
show that end up telling one full story for an advertiser, but they have to do that again for the next hour of television so that they don't repeat the same, you know, creative. Um, so they're they're really trying to be uh, make it as easy as possible for advertisers to kind of um, personalize the experience for their for their viewers and kind of make it pain free for viewers as well. Well, of course, um, TV is not the only industry being disrupted. Um, Christina, you wrote a story uh, for this package um, on the beauty business uh, and how that's also being challenged by upstarts. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what your story uh, is about and, and how quickly things are, are shifting in that industry? Yeah, I mean, I think what you're seeing is that smaller brands um, are thriving because they're direct to consumer and they can like build these audiences on social platforms and talk to them directly about what they like and what they want. And then they're able to like ideate and make, um, you know, products based off of that. The brands were able to dictate what beauty was and how it should be defined and put that out in print ads and in, you know, um, TV spots and showcase, you know, what their product could do to get this person to, you know, try and attain the type of beauty that was, you know, put out in these ads. Now with the digital world that we live in and more choice via these other brands, um, big mainstream brands are having to revamp the way that they have communicated with consumers and make it much more about like, you know, recognizing that beauty isn't just this one thing that's dictated, but it's all of these other things. And it's also much more representative of their actual consumers rather than just, you know, um, one pretty blonde woman putting on a muted shade of lipstick and, you know, uh, it's, it's changing. Yeah. I know you spoke to one direct-to-consumer brand in particular, Glossier. Um, what is their story and, and you know, how, how are they sort of taking advantage of these shifting dynamics to kind of take a share of the market? Um, so they, uh, Emily Weiss founded Into the Gloss, which was a publication that sort of wrote about the beauty industry. It was a blog, um, different people's beauty routines, et cetera. And out of that... Um, she was able to find out what people were lacking from what people felt was lacking what from the beauty world. Then she started an Instagram for the brand, um, grew that and then really launched the brand. So it was really different. It's also, you know, that's a direct to consumer brand that's grown quite a bit. Um, and it's one where they're launching new products all the time. They, you know, one one way that they've been slapped before is by people sort of saying it's a brand for like beautiful models to mm -hmm. like put like a little bit of just to like look like you're not wearing makeup only exactly. if you're already beautiful. <laughs> exactly. So like, you know, of course, I asked Emily Weiss about that and she, you know, had the, you, you know, that their products provide the kind of coverage that you need and all this stuff, which like, sure. Um it is what it is. Um, but, but there are certain products that they've made where it's like, you know, they have this, um, brow gel that is very, very popular. Um, and people love it. And, you know, 
They they end up making things and producing things after talking to their consumers sometimes and finding out what they want, which is a really interesting model. But it's also one where Glossier, um, you know, has tried to be more inclusive of women of different um, body types, races, ages, as, as well um, as more mainstream brands do that. So it's it's an interesting time. Um, so it's I think glossier the be- and not glossier. It's, it's like, fine. It's like dossier. you can say glossier. I mean, I, you know who who knows? Maybe after completing a video and talking to its founder, uh, I I will have gotten the name wrong this whole time <laughs> who knows guys we'll find um, out you know one thing i think is interesting about challenger brands is that um since they are usually upstarts uh and they're small they, they tend to be able to be closer to the consumer and understand better kind of what the consumer wants and also the kind of advertising even that they're that they're they'll be more open to and they end up kind of forcing legacy brands to kind of adapt almost like the dinosaurs you know do you guys think that that's um you know, a, a pretty prominent dynamic. Uh, I think so, especially especially what Christina was just talking about with kind of, you know, getting onto Instagram. That's how, you know, a lot of people consume their content or get their tips or tutorials in, in the beauty space, you know, um, as an example. Um, but that's kind of where where people on social media, you know, word of mouth advertising. They like to hear from their friends what's good and what's new and what they're into. And you don't kind of have to fight, you know, all the way back down to the regular real people that maybe <laughs> bigger brands have to like think about who that person is. They're they're built by people who are maybe closer to their um you know, the the exact consumer that they want to do. A lot of these, you know, entrepreneurs who start these companies start them for people like themselves and then they end up marketing to people in a way that they would want to be marketed to. So it is maybe a bit more of like a real world kind of scenario for them because they're not so far removed from it. Well, um, TV and beauty are just a couple of the industries that we feature in this digital uh, package. I think we, we also have a story on the fashion industry. We have a story on the food and grocery business. And we also have a, a story on the travel industry, which is probably the most famous industry for being disrupted just because of Airbnb and its mm. history over the past couple of years of going up against the, you know, the legacy hotel industry. I think it's interesting though, that our story almost treats Airbnb as the legacy brand, you know, cause there are these sort yeah. of up, upstart brands now, like one fine stay and afar. Uh, I suppose the timeline is shortening between how long you can even be considered a challenger brand and how long suddenly you're in the you're in the place where you're dominating the market just because these you know the the, the new sharing economy uh, empowers the consumer so much that that these new businesses are suddenly becoming big very very quickly although I will say it is still a gamble because I saw a a screenshot of of an article earlier this week the tweet did not choose to link to the article which is fine um, but basically someone was like you know Millennials we're sharing everything these days we're you know sharing rides and sharing workspaces but what if we shared living spaces what if there was co-living and the tweet was basically you invented roommates Like there's this there's this trend of like um, uh, white people who keep trying to make startups that are reinventing something that isn't 
needing to be reinvented and is already a thing just to make money off of it, probably to feed a larger ambition that isn't just that simple startup. So it definitely takes a lot to kind of break out of the mold. Um, but like you said, to your point, it is kind of expected that more and more of this will happen. And hopefully it's based out of consumer kind of habits and not out of the whims of the affluent. And maybe that's kind of how these these stick around a little bit longer. Well, that's all the time we have today. Uh, I wanted to thank Sammy Main and Christina Monlos. Thank you guys for joining me. That was really fun. Um, and check out adbeek.com for more on challenger brands. Like I said, we've got at least five stories, maybe more. Uh, on the site this morning, kind of discussing all about these upstarts and how they're disrupting their industries. Always an interesting topic. Um, so uh, email your questions to us or your comments to podcast at adweek.com. And uh, we might uh, read your, your note on an upcoming episode. Uh, our theme music is by Home. Uh, this episode was produced by Christina Monlos. Thank you, Christina. Uh, please take a moment to leave a review on Apple, iTunes, uh, Google Play, or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, those reviews mean a lot to us and help us find new audiences for the podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week. This episode was brought to you by Accenture Interactive. Accenture Interactive is hyper-focused on offering new connected experiences that flex to accommodate individual needs. See how we're creating greater experiences now at AccentureInteractive.com. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.